My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating Girl Boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. You're sitting outside on a gorgeous day, enjoying your lunch or reading, and someone approaches you and tries to start a conversation. And you feel really uncomfortable, but you can't seem to say what you will wish you had said later. I know some of you know this feeling. Perhaps you freeze as the chat moves into an even more uncomfortable direction or even end up sharing more information about yourself than you'd like, like your phone number or relationship status. Does this sound familiar? If so, you are so far from alone. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so grateful that you're listening Today, you're going to learn ways to better navigate uncomfortable and confusing conversations and the role sex plays in leading an empowered and integrated life, thanks to a phenomenal expert who's going to join us here shortly. We'll also hear from Dr. Megan Fleming. She has thoughts for a listener who's eager to prepare her very sweet teenage daughter for the college dating scene. Before we dive in, I have to give a big shout out to today's product sponsor, Yarlap a super-duper Kegel machine that directly instructs your muscles how to do a pelvic floor exercise. It not only helps cure incontinence, but often heightens a woman's ability for sexual satisfaction in a way that most dedicated Kegel practitioners could only dream about. This is so valuable considering that one in three vulva owners in the U.S. have bladder leaks, and well over 50% aren't able to do those Kegels even with proper instruction. I'm guessing that some of you are like, what's a Kegel? It's great for that purpose too. Yarlap's auto Kegel technology does Kegels for you. No guesswork required. So you can learn more at yarlap.com or by clicking the ad on my website, augustmclaughlin.com. And if you use the discount code girlboner, no spaces, you will get a great discount, yarlap.com. While you're on my site, augustmclaughlin.com, sign up for occasional Girl Boner updates by entering your name and email address. You'll get a note from me about once a month, often featuring goodies I don't share anywhere else. You can also pre-order my Girl Boner book. I'm so excited. It comes out in about a month. Pre-order it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Target.com. It's for good girls and everyone else looking to embrace sexual pleasure and lead fuller lives. Now I'm so pleased to welcome Kasha Urbaniak to the show. Kasha is the founder and CEO of The Academy, a school that teaches women the foundations of power and influence. She made her living as one of the world's most successful dominatrixes while studying power dynamics with teachers all over the world. During all of this, she practiced Taoist alchemy in one of the oldest female-led monasteries in China and obtained dozens of certifications in different disciplines. Since founding the Academy in 2013, Kasha has taught hundreds of women practical tools to step into leadership positions in their relationships, families, workplaces, and wider communities. I'm so thrilled to bring some of her brilliance to you all today. Thank you for joining me today, Kasha. How are you doing? Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm curious about your personal background. What did you learn about sex and sexuality when you were growing up? You mean before I started working? Yeah. 
I probably learned what uh, a lot of people learn. A very disorganized, irresponsible hodgepodge of misinformation and uh, um, experimental childlike social testing. <laughs> very well described, yes, <laughs> and relatable. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you remember the first positive thing you learned about sex? I can't say this is positive or negative, but I, uh, the first moment I heard about virginity, I wanted to get rid of it as soon as possible. <laughs> I didn't even know what that meant, but I was like, I got to get rid of this thing. Do you remember the context of that, how you learned? I don't, but there was something that I didn't like about how girls that were virgins, the conversations that I was hearing, there's something about it I really didn't like. And I, d I was too young to understand what it was. Yeah, but instinctively you, you understood that there was something off. And it's so interesting, the term virginity, there's no like scientific de definition. It's sort of a oh. social construct. Yeah. Yeah, and some people describe it in different ways. There are so many people who define sex as a specific kind of intercourse. So they think, oh, I haven't had sex because... I've had oral. Right, right. You know, right, it's, right. Just, it's interesting. And we don't really hear it as much in the context of masculinity or if you're a guy, unless you're a virgin when you're 40, then it's a big deal. Right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, what led you to become so passionate about this topic of sexuality and connecting with that part of ourselves? Um, for me, the, um, the connection really is in its connection to power and self expression. So, my interest in sex is secondary. My interest in power, power dynamics, and communication is primary. But in working with women, I saw very clearly that um, you absolutely can't omit sexuality in a conversation about power. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, and a woman claiming her power without claiming her sex um, is doing a head case. She's not doing a full body thing. This is best articulated for me in the story of Sleeping Beauty um, because it's something I can viscerally feel and relate to. So in the, not the original, but in the, the story of Sleeping Beauty that we grew up with, um, what you have is a woman who's in a fucking coma. She's in an erotic coma. She does not feel anything. And it isn't until the rightfully ordained heterosexual man in a high position of power with money comes to bless her with a kiss that the spark of her fire, her passion, and her eros awakens. So there's this idea that for us, our sexuality, sexuality lives outside of us. It lives outside of us in the, um, the idea that the other is what stokes the flame. The other is the catalyst. And also in the sense that um, female sexuality is very outside in. Clothes, billboards, advertising, all of it. And it it's in one sense so obvious and in another so subtle that when a woman feels erotic longing, it's difficult for her to conceive of it without having an object. If it doesn't have an object, she's just horny. It's weird. If it has an object, she's um, she's infatuated or she's in love, mm -hmm. and it belongs to the other. The other stokes it. The other's behavior determines it. How the other performs determines how the experience goes. And so um, what I notice is that with that dislocation, that almost all of the women coming to my classes had some form of that and had some form of 
if they uh, had an encounter, especially with a man that was compelling, all of their attention, all of their energy, all of their analysis, all of their concern went out to him, even if it was like an entire world of assumption and imagination and calculation and strategy. It was the most, the fastest way to, you know, mainline the concept of giving your power away. And it happened fastest when we were talking about sex. Mm. So how am I supposed to teach a woman to primally in a full-bodied way communicate as a communications and power dynamics expert for her to be able to have her message, her words land, be heard, be felt in the body of the other and influence if she's given all her power away, mm -hmm. if she can't feel her body half the time. If she's waiting for somebody to come and stoke and be the catalyst to her longing, hmm. it doesn't work. Yeah. So that's where, for me, um, sexuality becomes a necessary conversation when we talk about women using their voices. They have, to, they have to know it's theirs and they have to know what they like and they have to know what to say. And that they have a voice. I had chills listening to you because I can think of so many examples that I've seen in the world in my own life that idea that it that it is something external and associated with somebody else, something that we give or something that we might share. Or that we might exchange for something. Yes, a currency. Yeah. Yeah. So how do those conversations start? Do you what's the first step once somebody comes to you? Obviously something compelled somebody to reach out to you. What's a typical reason that they're coming to your class? Oh, this, uh, I think this is the part of the fun part. Um a large percentage of women who come to my classes don't know why. They just know they have to come. Really? <laughs> yeah. So they just feel it. Yeah. Kind of like how you were saying you felt that virginity you wanted to get rid of. Like you yeah. felt a thing. Yeah. But yeah. you couldn't quite define yeah. it. That's so interesting. Yeah. So um, the, the reasons that follow are uh, across the board, right? So uh, one woman will say, I want to find my voice. And I go, fuck you. What does that mean? Well, I want to stand in in my power. Okay, explain that what what that means. Um, and can they answer? First, a bunch of clumsy examples and steps uh, towards something that maybe has some feeling. Uh, if I if I wanted to just be very categorical about it, it's like women who at work have reached a glass ceiling and they don't understand why they they don't have the authority that they'd like in the position that they have and they're doing too much to maintain that position and they're not communicating in a way that gets them what they want, whereas the men in their same position aren't having that problem and they're like, what's going on? And then there are the women who have that problem with romantic relationships, especially in heterosexual relationships with men, they are finding themselves either um, being the caretaker and turning the man into a worm who's useless, then, you know, gets the benefit of all of, all of that, leaves and finds somebody else who is less, contributing less. Um, or uh, they just struggle to communicate their needs. Um, you know, there, there's the typical dichotomy of like, I uh, encourage them to just in their imagination, you know, write down things that they could ask. And they're always that that feeling that the feeling that comes is they're afraid of either coming across as bitchy and bossy or needy, mm. you know, and dispelling a lot of the the, the fears around those things yeah. just becomes really important. I mean, a, a woman who is sexually satisfied and freely self-expressed in her speech is fucking unstoppable. Without with those two ingredients, basically, she can take over the world. Mm. That's gorgeous. That's gorgeous. The transformation must be really 
fulfilling for you to see. Is it a different process for each person? Do you take people through a series of specific steps or is it very individualized? Um, well, this is this is a, a conversation about class design, right? Because there's different classes with different arcs. And the arcs are built around the kinds of patterns that women tend to have that are in the class in real time tweaked if that particular group consciousness is going in a different direction or new shit is showing up. So what would be some of the patterns that you've noticed in women, some of these arcs you see? So in, uh, in our introductory class, Power with Men 101, there are certain things that always happen. Uh, one is the contingency of women who are like, I don't need anything from a man. I am not asking a man for anything. I am independent, and it's taken me a lot to get to this place, and I am not diluting it with even writing some silly requests. Um, and uh, this pattern is the bittersweet victory of the independent woman. Because when you look a little deeper, she's doing everything. You know the idea of having it all? Like, yeah. can a woman have it all? That idea is bullshit because what it's pointing to is a woman who's doing it all, not having it all. Uh, having it all and doing it all are not the same thing. So true. Yeah. So she's um, independent, feels a sense of victory for overcoming millennia of habitual patterning that would have her not be able to be in a position of authority and vic victoriously independent. However, what is invisible at that moment is that a lot of the men who have authority and who are, quote unquote, independent agents are not actually independent because they have all these invisible support systems around them that women don't have. So um, a lot of the times this particular pattern is one where I have to invite the woman to be incredibly furious for a little while and enjoy her bitterness and her rage and do exercises where she turns her inner bad girl bitch into a superhero until that superhero becomes so lovable that she can actually sit with requests mm -hmm. that she can make of people in her life. And when she does, surprisingly, she elevates them. Mm -hmm. When you ask a little more of somebody in a way that feels good, yeah. when they step into that position, they go from worm to loyal subject or knight in shining armor, mm -hmm. if you want to go through the, uh, you know, the heterosexual stereotypes. But you give, you share more of your um, energy and your enterprise and your dreams with someone. So uh, that's one pattern. Um, and there, <laughs> there's so many. There's yeah. so many. There's so many. But a lot of them come down to uh, this thing I talk a lot about which is now in this in this space of women shifting from essentially being trained to be submissive, surrendered, accommodating, harmonizing good girls to um, leadership positions where they have agency. This weird thing has happened where women tend to be afraid of both. Now they're afraid to receive and be surrendered and be led. Oh, no, 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 I'm not below you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Mm -hmm. And they're also afraid of coming across as too powerful. So yeah. it's like this too much, too little split. Too intimidating. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we work a lot with that, a lot with that, a lot with blowing that apart so that a woman can behave as naturally intensely as she feels or as softly as she feels and uh, be calibrated to really well. seems like there are so many layers to this. There are. Yeah. So, so many patterns, so many layers. And 
getting to how important is getting to the root of that? Is it about moving forward and and learning about you know another way, or do people have to kind of look within and go, where did I get these ideas from? So um, one of the reasons this is so layered is not because it's complicated. It's because we don't have language for it. Essentially, what I teach is how people can speak the truth. And now here I have to add a huge, huge, huge stop. Because when people talk about the truth, people get away with saying factual truth and calling it truth. I'm talking about full body primal truth, full body primal truth. It means the material reality, the feeling and the ideas and the words match. So it would be really, really simple just to say, tell the truth, speak your truth, make the requests you want to make, except that language ends up being as unhelpful as telling a woman to find her voice and stand in her power. It doesn't actually give any instruction into how to um, not slip into the patterns that we were raised with. Mm-hmm. And the new ones that now have us feeling compressed and smushed and feeling like, oh my God, I can't be too much. I can't be too little. I'm too powerful. I'm not powerful enough. I make too much money. I don't make enough money. I'm not pretty enough. I'm way too pretty. <laughs> you know, all of it, all of it, all of it, like compressed into a fucking box until you cannot breathe. Mm-hmm. Instead of being radically self-expressed in all directions, understanding what it does for a dynamic, right, where there's always a dominant and a submissive, they're always switching in, in healthy, fluid relationships, even in the span of a conversation where their sexuality is not even on the table. Mm-hmm. So how do you play? How do you play with energy? How do you play with attention? How do you play from that space of truth? I mean, this is where the magic starts. Sounds like it's, so it's about alignment. Yeah. And this full body truth. Yeah. What are some of the signs that you know you are in that full body truth? Because I feel like so many people have read all the self-help articles with just do this and just do that. And here's you know when you're not in it, right? You know when you're not in it. For example, like the sexual harassment pattern, when somebody puts attention on you, asks you an inappropriate question, and then the female default is to take that attention and drive it even deeper into ourselves because mm-hmm. we're trained to be submissive, attention in. And what that causes is a freeze. So suddenly we can't even speak. We would normally be able to say something, you know, sassy or or defensive or, or, or something perfectly acceptably logical but we can't speak uh, um so we're not, at that moment we're knocked out of alignment so the the one of the things i teach one of the first things i teach is how women overcome the freeze what they do is in that position they're in a, in a submissive position in a dynamic so what they need to do is put their attention out as quickly as possible and ask a question at, like literally ask the yep. person a question yes because what that does is it drives their attention deeper into themselves. So you flip the power dynamic and are now on top. Even if it's only for a few seconds, it's enough for you to restore your access to language. Because when you're in that free state, um, your amygdala gets hijacked. Your brain doesn't function the same way. And this is, this is like, how many times have you been asked an inappropriate question or just a question that maybe felt inappropriate but wasn't so bad? Like, are you married? How old are you? And found yourself not wanting to answer but answering anyway. Oh, yeah, I've done that. Or freezing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we have this entire uh, section of our curriculum that's the verbal self-defense dojo that we just turned into an interactive online class where (laughs) creepy dudes say shit to you in many different contexts. And you're given many different ways of flipping the power dynamic and playing back. Some of them like brutal, some of them funny, and some of them... Um, they're they're categorized into soft, hard, and a, and a location tool, which kind of settles and grounds the whole thing. 
What would be an example of a question that you might ask? I'm sure it's different in every scenario. There's not like one right answer to that. But if somebody were to ask this inappropriate question, what might you say in response? Um, depends on the inappropriate question, right? Like, let me ask you an inappropriate question. Okay. Um, do you think, or not, or an edgy question? Do you think being black helped you get into Harvard? Mm. What do you say? Gosh, if I were to ask a question, why is that important to you? That's good. It's very good. So it's anything that makes them think within themselves. You flip the power dynamic because now I have to. I have to go in and go. Why is it important to me? Well, because I care about racial equality. So what's your answer? Yeah, that's so that's so interesting. And I love that you have the role playing built into this program because I feel like we can learn these things. But if you're not practicing it, yep. it doesn't become a muscle. Because yeah. I had read. Are you familiar with The Gift of Fear? No. The book by Gavin DeBecker. It's, it's wonderful. And it talks a lot about people who have saved themselves from certain scenarios or it's written by Gavin DeBecker who works with the CIA to determine whether something is a threat or somebody is a threat and does a lot in the kind of space of, of self-protection and, and trusting your instincts and all that stuff. And I remember reading the book and that was life-shifting for me when I read it, but it's a very different thing to apply it. Yeah. And I would go, man, that was a gift of fear moment that I totally didn't do later until you actually are practicing it. Yeah. 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 So the so the inappropriate questions can be anything from like a massage therapist while you're naked asking you, are you married? Right. That's an uncomfortable situation. Or um, oftentimes uh, we have a second category. Right. The first is just inappropriate questions or like inappropriate um, propositions. Right, which you play back with a question. It's like, do you realize that question will generally make a woman feel really uncomfortable? The, that's a really good answer back, right? Um, do you realize how you sound in asking that question? And did you mean to sound that way? And really saying it genuinely so that it's not a... One thing I noticed, I was in this really powerful self-defense class. I had a lot of role-playing, different kinds of activities. And I noticed a lot of us would say things like, well, I don't want to sound mean and all yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So do, do people ask you about the tone? Like, do you say it? Do you have to really believe and feel what you're saying? No, you just have to put your attention out. That's it. Okay. Yeah, really. Because the animal of his body will respond in accordance to whether there's any weight behind the words. And attention is everything. So um, there, are, there are variables that are nicer sounding or not nicer sounding. You know, you can hit someone hard when you hit them back or you can hit them soft. But it's really the attention. You're giving them the instruction to answer the question no matter how benign or banal it is. You can ask them, where did you get that sweater? And it'll still have the same function, even though you're totally changing the conversation. Because you're on top and the goal is to break the freeze, not to win at that point. The, the point is to get your... I mean, how much unwanted sex and rape happened because a woman was in the freeze and didn't have access to language. So my goal in this, in the, especially when this first, um, when all of the Me Too and Harvey stuff started coming out, I was like, what simple tool can I give as many women as possible that will just break the power of that moment? Like, screw the philosophy and the whole paradigm. Like, what is the one thing I can give them? And so the, the sexual harassment scenarios, they generally arise two ways. One with a direct and appropriate prop proposition, right? That puts a woman in a submissive state and changes her brain chemistry, making it hard for her to fight back. So I'm like, all right, here's the tool to break you out of the freeze here. And the second one is when um, somebody, the perpetrator, makes a series of ambiguous statements linked together that imply a form of behavior you're supposed to do 
or agree with. And this one is a little bit harder, so we have a different tool for it. Because um, with a direct hit, you can hit back directly. Sure. Right. But with that, you, uh, we have this tool called the location tool where a woman will just fill in the blanks of this sentence. Okay. It's so simple. It's almost dumb. Um, it seems like fill in the blank. And it also seems like fill in the blank. And if there's a third, it also seems like fill in the blank. Is that true? Or it seems like fill in the blank. Is that true? So for example, uh, you're with a, you're at the hotel lobby bar of a, with a colleague because you're at a conference and you're talking about business and he makes a few statements about how good it's that how good it is that you've gotten to know each other better and the bar is closing. Should we continue in my room? You know, and then, then the woman can before she can't hit back. She can't be like, do you realize yeah. it's inappropriate? So um, she can say, it seems like you might be done with talking about business. It seems like the hotel room isn't the best place to talk about business. Is that true? <laughs> it <laughs> seems like brilliant. you might be interested in transitioning to a more intimate setting. Is that true? Yeah. And then suddenly it, it's um, it, we're not operating in a realm of mystery. Um, I think a lot of men who uh, have hurt women didn't intend to and were very clumsy. I think it's a time to socially educate both men and women in real time by teaching people to tell the truth in the moment and giving them the tools to do so. So, again, there's a couple of things, but breaking the freeze and teaching women how to what, what to do when they get stuck. Yeah. It's like it's like first aid. It's like a first aid kit. And I feel like the men will learn so much, too, in these scenarios because they just haven't been offered an alternative because – that's what they've been taught. This is how you approach a woman. You you don't say anything too direct. You kind of like, you know, ease yeah. your way in. What about We've gotten that... so much, yeah. so much incredible emails, so much mail from men and so many men buying this course for their daughters. Mm. Um, and then, then, of course, the, the all the negative emails for, from women. <laughs> the funny. negative emails yeah. from women? Yeah. Really? Yeah. What, what is like a common complaint they have? Um, it's usually it's usually around a misunderstanding about how we are linking sex and power. You know, it's it's automatically like we uh power, sex together, no. Sexuality, woman sexuality does not belong in the, you know, in the workplace. They have ideas about what that means. And like a powerful human being for me is a fully integrated one that is capable of feeling their own sexuality, their empathy, their emotions, their intellect mm-hmm. and operating not necessarily being nice or sexy but with all of those faculties intact and engaged. Yeah, and not using it as a weapon either. I feel like people hear power and they think that, oh, well, you're telling women they have to. Yeah, it's a complete misunderstanding, but I understand their concern. Yeah, yeah. Wow. What about somebody who is, somebody approaches you who is not quite mentally stable? Run. (laughs) Run, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you can't reason with an unreasonable person. I mean, that's a high stakes, um, high level game to play. Yeah. So I would, you know, maybe an advanced student could <laughs> could find a way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Buying into their reality was one thing that we talked about in that class I took where if somebody is talking to you about some alien they see, you can play along with it. Like you can try different things. And, you know, if you can't get away immediately or but the goal is, of course, to get away from somebody who's a threat. Yeah. We can't always because what you're talking about is also mirrored in our society. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Even the idea that women are less powerful and their sex is not theirs. Yes. That took a lot of brainwashing because we obviously give birth and have more power than anybody else. Mm. Like, 
how did that how did that how did that mind game <laughs> work out you know yeah yeah the societal brainwashing goes deep yeah really deep so i know that sex is not the main focus it's more of a byproduct it's part of all of this as you mentioned but how does all of this affect a woman's sex life profoundly yeah absolutely because one of the first things she does in the earliest levels of the school is she learns to ask and command. She learns to ask from a submissive place and from a dominant place. She learns to give orders and she learns to ask from a submissive place and in being able to say anything, speak anything, ask for anything. Mm. That It's not just that you can ask for anything in the bedroom. That's one part of it. But once you feel freedom around asking, once you feel freedom around hearing no and getting intimate with somebody else's resistance, uh, being really interested in what passionate um, thing they're trying to protect with, with resistance, when you start playing in those territories, intimacy explodes through the roof. Also, when you feel comfortable asking for anything and comfortable with playing with no, uh, imagination also blossoms mm. hugely because it goes from... You know, this one little thing that I would really like to have adjusted to, like, being able to co-create and imagine a unique series of sexual experiences that address, you know, both partners' deepest wounds and biggest desires. And none of that's possible until um, the ability to communicate is lubricated enough and, mm-hmm. and, and the dynamic is fluid enough. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, um, I have I have a lot of students who take the course that's really very communication-based. And after the first weekend, their sex lives go through the roof. Wow. And they're also energetically congruent, so they're easier to locate. You know, like when a woman has her attention out constantly, nobody can find her, like in an animal sense. People can't feel what it is that she needs and wants when her attention is out all the time. Yeah. They can't. She's not located. She has to be at the center of her fucking universe, and then the birds and the bees and the whole universe mm-hmm. comes to, like, yeah. stroke her, caress her, and give her the gifts she wants. Yeah, which has profound impact on the rest of your life, too, when you can be so authentic and also, as you said, ask for what you want. I know that for me, embracing my sexuality, I felt like opened up my whole world in yeah. ways that I didn't expect because sometimes you think you're working on your sex life. Yeah. When, in fact, my voice, my singing voice literally became completely different so much louder all these things happened these completely surprising things are a lot of people surprised by yeah the the opening of sexuality oftentimes also increases money clarity and communication uh muscular locks disappear voices change i'm totally not surprised that you're saying this Mm. uh it's it's oh god there's just something so primal about not having having Missing the experience of being sexually validated by self and other and being able to sexually communicate freely with a partner. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it happens and everything changes. It's yeah. like, oh, I am in touch with the life force. I am life and I, li- I live here and it's coursing through me. And, you know, the, the next step is the, um, the ecstasy of emotion. You know, that like the sensation of something really terrible and the sensation of something really like positive. They actually in the body feel orgasmically similar. So that you can find such a turn on in being disappointed and feeling sad or feeling longing and unrequited love or the incredible pussy wedding turn on of being furious. The goddess of 
fucking rage. <laughs> that, that rage that makes your nipples hard and your eyes big. And th- th- suddenly the, the, uh, the, the taboo about the experiences that we have on a daily basis, the moods that shift and turn become this incredible symphony of body-stroking uh, pleasure. I'd never thought about that. It's so true that the, the experience of rage, for example, frustration, anger. So and, hot. Yeah. <laughs> and when you can actually let that energy out in these ways from, from an authentic place versus feeling like, oh, I'm not allowed to feel this way or, you know, it's bad that I'm feeling. It's the merger of sexuality and negative emotion that turns negative emotion into its positive counterpart. So, like, with my students, if they're really angry first it's very tight mm-hmm. and and if i can get them to a place where they're they're feeling arousal around the sensations in their angry bodies it starts turning into passion mm-hmm. and they move from what they've been fighting against to what they're fighting for mm-hmm. and passion and anger have a very similar vibrational note but passion is anger with total approval so people don't get killed right with passion there is no collateral damage. With anger, everybody's in pain, including the one carrying anger. So sadness has the same thing. Sadness is very, very powerful because its gift is it draws the energy inward mm. and creates a tremendous amount of so- softness if it's approved of. If you feel the sensations of sadness, they are so delicate, romantic, and subtle and refined, and it brings you into the best state for a surrendered experience of attention, an inward experience of attention that has you really start to root in what you feel you truly, truly, truly want. Mm -hmm. So there's this beautiful way in which sadness becomes first romantic and then self-knowledge of longing. And all of that, all of that requires approval. Yeah, that is so fascinating. So then would it make sense when you're feeling angry to masturbate, to connect intentionally with your sexuality yes um the first step usually is start where you are so sometimes i'll have my students beat a bag of beans with a baseball bat and say no 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 and then like make really furious faces in the mirror then start to dance and only then at the end of that uh masturbate or self-pleasure so that it's it's not um it depends on how far they are how deep it is so that it's 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 a it's a smooth transition. Kasha, you are speaking to me, and you've given me such a gift in that because recently I've had these stressful situations come up, and now I'm seeing some really beautiful therapeutic ways to to benefit more than just I can get through this. Yeah. But actually, or if you have a if you have a if you have an exciting sexual partner, having angry sex can be really fun. Oh. Yeah, angry sex. Oh my gosh. Yeah, especially for somebody who's quite, you know, quote, good girl, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh my goodness. That is so fascinating. Wow. It sounds like a really intensely emotional process for anyone. That one is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, it's a little bit uh, disorienting to talk about the school. In, in any interview because there's so many different facets of it. Yeah. Like the verbal self-defense dojo is not is not deeply cathartic and emotional. It's the first aid kit so that women can go out and kick ass and not be bludgeoned by accident in conversation and negotiation. Right. It's super important. Right. But then the, the part that we were just talking about is sort of the inner sanctum of a series of classes where we move each emotion by joining it with sexuality. Mm. Um, and then there's, you know, <laughs> it's it's a... 
it's really, I'm really, really proud of, of having created this space where so many different ways of empowering women are, are, are applied. Mm. Yeah, rightfully. It sounds so magical, really. Is this information that came to you quite naturally? Was there, were there turning points in your own life that led you to, to do this work? Or is this something that you have just felt like you've had this understanding about and wanted to bring to the world? This is absolutely a process. This was a huge process for me. I was um, one of the world's most successful dominatrixes. And um, I uh, was making a lot of money for the place I was working for. So they asked me to train the other dominatrixes. That was my first look. My first look was uh, seeing where they struggled. And then um, also comparing my dominatrix friends to my non-dominatrix friends and noticing things that they worried about. Um, Were they different? Completely. So much more superstition and worry about what a text message meant. Uh, so much more body shame. And the non-dominatrix. Yep. Because one of the first things that you get, like okay, in a dungeon, there's um, uh, uh, an option for a session that's a body worship session. So the slave just like worships and kisses the knees, the thighs, the hands, or however far the dominatrix will let him go. But he worships her body. And so when a body worship client would come into the dungeon, the assumption for a, a new dominatrix would be, I'm cute, I'm cuter than most, I'm younger than most, because the new ones are usually cuter and younger. I got this. And it wasn't true, because 45-year-old overweight Mistress Greta would have an equally amazing shot at getting the body worship session as anybody else. And then watching, like I had one session that was... Um, I was with her in a session and I was watching her. She seemed so much older to me, like grandma, you know, and uh, I was watching the way he worshipped her. And I was like, oh, what? She is like a fragrant, ripe fruit. And I'm this tight green bud. I have so little to offer. I'm like, so not, I don't have that, that, that big sexuality that she does. And uh, after that, I was like, oh, wow. Men do really get into all different kinds of women for all different, like, so that's just one little tiny example. But um, then I was uh, studying to be a Taoist nun, and I was studying Taoism, and I was studying martial arts, and I was studying uh, Chinese medicine, and I was using the money I was making as a dominatrix to go to mountaintops and start, like, work, work <laughs> with healers. And this made a lot of my ability to see in an unspoken way where people were at, at that time, mm -hmm. mostly the clients, um, much more precisely and move them, like move them through different states of consciousness and states of emotion. But really, everything exploded when I met my business partner. Mm -hmm. So Ruben Flores worked for Doctors Without Borders and would spend like years in Africa in conflict zones. And he, here I was like the fringes of human sexuality and power. And he's in the fringes of war and death and power. Wow. And, it all. and our first conversation was about how, like, anytime he was at, at a, you know, a border or a checkpoint or something like that, you know, he might have had this official looking paper, but nobody spoke the same language. There'd be like 14 year olds on drugs with with assault rifles and the way to communicate and the way to be like, I am building a hospital here between you who wants to kill that and you who wants to kill them. I am building a hospital here and how to, how to have, and at that time, I mean, he started so young. So he's like 23 or whatever. And like had to establish his authority as a man 
without language. And I did it in this very different way as a woman without, without language in the sense that as a dominatrix, nothing I'm saying is true. I'm not using my real name. None of this, all of right. this is made up. Yeah. And uh, the explosion in terms of understanding power struggles, power dynamics, uh, primal communication, and how women, how women are affected differently, how they're trained differently. We could not stop talking for six months. And mm-hmm. at the end of six months, we basically had a school. Wow, that's so fascinating. So if people would like to take these classes, learn more about you, what are the best ways to do so? Uh, go to the website, <laughs> which is uh, com. Awesome. Very cool. That's so great. What is one message that you feel that women are most lacking that you'd like to leave people with? Something You're always right. Mm-hmm. What you feel is always right. Even if you're not right what you're right about, you're always right. Every signal coming through you means something, and it's right. You may not be right about what it means, but it's right. I mean, I have my students put an alarm on their phones that says you are always right and ring every hour. If you feel it, it's there for a reason. You are right. Sit on it like an egg. Wait for it to hatch. You'll find out what it means. But do not abandon it. Do not question it. And do not make it mean something wrong about you. Self-attack is the biggest plague we're suffering right now. It's the way that we take ourselves down and each other down. One of the first steps is everything that you feel is right. You don't have to understand why it's right, how to apply it. Not right away, but it's always right. And listening to that and letting it, you said sit on it, let it hatch. So there's no forcing it, no Mm-mm. hyperanalyzing. Just honor it. Apart, just honor it and in its own time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for the work that you do and for sharing today. I'm so inspired. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now for a bit of Ask Dr. Megan Fun. We have a wonderful question from Joanne who wrote this. My daughter is very sweet and kind and smart and amazing. I'm sure all mothers say that. She's off to college this fall, and I'm worried that her sweetness will be taken advantage of. She sometimes seems emotionally young for her age and has never dated. How can her father and I instill good practices in her around dating and sex without overstepping? Thank you so much for your question, Joanne. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Joanne, great question. And one, I'm not quite there yet, but I do have a 14-year-old who... Uh, just announced this past week that she has a boyfriend. Um, And so I think for any parent, all those questions come up about, you know, how are they making informed decisions and um, really sort of being true to themselves and, you know, yet also this developmental task that we refer to as separation and, and, and individuation. And the idea meaning that you have raised her with, um, your values and morals and brought her to this point at 18 that she's internalized so much of all the things that you've instilled and really this is an opportunity for her to start spreading her wings and getting a sense of who she is in the world and in the dating world and yes I think it's true that there can be concerns that it's in a sense more of a hookup culture Uh, and there's certainly a lot of books to inform and educate her around that Um, I think the first thing you want to say is, you know, we trust you and we know and hope that when, if you have any questions or concerns that you'll come to us. And if for any reason you have a sense that, 
you know, if she's been elusive or, you know, you're sensitive to this, you know, not overstepping, right? So there's a respect for that boundary and not wanting to be intrusive. But I think it's often helpful sometimes to say, you know, hey, and if something came up, if not me, who might you go to, right? Is that, is it an aunt? Is it a best friend's mother? You know, helping her identify who is that adult that she knows and trusts so that when and if she wouldn't bring a question to you, you know that she's going to bring it to someone. Because I think the biggest thing we want for our teens and our kids is that, you know, that as they're facing life and um, sort of unexpected events and challenges, that they have someone that they can go to, that they know and trust. And I think the important thing is when they bring things to us, that we um, are respectful and we uh, make it a safe space, right? So that even when if we have our own personal concerns, we don't make let that become a block or a barrier that because of our own reaction, right, that they wouldn't come to us, right? That's the most important thing is that you're creating the environment to say, we know that you make good decisions and choices. Um, and part of that is, of course, the education around drugs and alcohol, especially on college campuses, just recognizing that, again, a little may make anyone disinhibited, um, but obviously the impacts of too much. And again, having sort of the friend or the buddy system, sort of all those things in place. And I think, you know, you often hear me say this, sort of educating around that sense of, and as she's putting, you know, put a toe in the water, we don't jump into the deep end, right? And really, I think helping her to encourage her to, when she's finding that somebody that she likes, right, to really take it slow because, you know, oftentimes our emotions can get ahead of us and um, we really need to slow it down so that both our mind and our bodies um, can be in alignment. You know, so I think the biggest thing I could say here is helping her know that she knows how to make good decisions, giving her information, you know, two books that I'd recommend, and they may feel a little bit young, but you've mentioned she hasn't even yet started dating, so I think there would be a good place to start, and certainly to create these conversations, um, because again, as you said, it's just to say, hey, I want what's best for you, and starting college is an overwhelming time in general, um, just moving away, uh, assuming she's not... Um, you know, commuting that she'd be living away, uh, having roommates, just the academic work. There's, you know, such time of transition and change. And so you just want to say, hey, how can we come along and support you? And these are some books, right? And preview them yourself. And again, maybe you can pick a chapter to read together and have a conversation around. Um, so, that, so two that I'd recommend are, one is Deborah Hatchell, and it's called What Smart Teenagers Know About Dating, Relationships, and Sex. And the other is Sex, second edition, the all-you-need-to-know sexuality guide to get you through your teens. Um, and the part here is that that book, it sounds like it's just about sex, but it also talks a lot about relationships. Um, so my biggest takeaway is to say it's great that you have the concern, but it ultimately is keeping the conversation open and books are a great way to start that identifying if not you who that person would be and I've mentioned this I think just in the last week or two another resource again is this uh, video called consent as tea because I think we want to help encourage women to realize that even when and if say we're kissing and we're joint experience that that doesn't give license right like she might have a great first boyfriend who 
is very generous and considerate and taking things slow and then all of a sudden wants to sort of speed things up when she may not be feeling ready, right? So I think it's really important that we empower um, young women to know that uh, consent is something that is constantly getting negotiated um, and what you might be up for on a Monday is not necessarily what you're in the mood for on a Wednesday and just because you're enjoying kissing and uh, maybe even it's, you know, moving up to uh, genital stimulation, it does not equal I'm ready for penetrative sex, right? So really helping women know that at any point they can change, um, have that conversation, and it's always about an ongoing discussion around consent. So I know I said a lot, um, but I think it's great that you're opening this dialogue, and as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I loved what she had to say about keeping the conversation open and relying on books as wonderful resources. The second one she mentioned, Sex Second Edition, the all-you-need-to-know sexuality guide to get you through your teens. That's written by Heather Corinna, Heather Corinna, and you can find it on Amazon as well as most places books are sold. And Dr. Megan also mentioned encouraging women to, you know, to realize that kissing any sort of activity that we may participate in be excited about doesn't give license to anything else thereafter or the same thing moving forward and this applies to all genders so i think these messages around consent are so important thank you dr megan for those really helpful tips and reminders that i think we can all learn from Again, learn more about Megan at greatlifegreatsex.com. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you will subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Spotify and my website, augustmclaughlin.com. I would love to hear what you think of the show. If you have any suggestions for topics or have any questions, please drop me a note and find me on social media. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.